It's cool. This is everything I've been talking about. For the last few weeks, this is it. It's groups of people that see the worth of Jesus and see how incredible he is and then desire to go into these different places and say to others, you need to see the worth of Jesus. That's where you find most joy. That's where you find most satisfaction. That's where you find most contentment. It's not getting caught up in this world, but truly knowing and seeing and just being blown away by Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. We've been talking about it from the standpoint that as a church, we need to grow together in Christ. We need to live together We need to display together. We talked about that last week. And today what we're going to be talking about is mobilizing because we believe that God doesn't just love Simi Valley. We believe he loves even, isn't that city's name cool? Whoosh. (laughs) I'm just like, where do you live? Whoosh. (laughs) God even loves, he is desperate for the people there. God is a God that loves this world for God so loved the, right? We can never, ever forget that. He's a passionate God. And so we've been talking about it in light of the three M's. You remember what the three M's are that we talked about? What's the first one? The message, the measure, and the means. Okay, that's what we're going to be talking about today is how is it that we are going to be a group of people that join God in what he's doing because we believe that when we join God, when we get caught up in what he's doing on this planet, that then we're going to truly be a group of people that are going to have the joy that Jesus promised in John. That's what we're going to be talking about today is just this idea of now joining God globally. Now, that kind of from the start of it, the thing we have to understand is, is that this world was intended by God to enjoy him. He created it for us to enjoy him. He put it all together. In fact, when he designed this world, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and I want you to fill the earth. I want you to fill this entire planet with people so that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, people see my worth because they were designed to see my worth. They were designed to worship me. Now, the problem with that is, those we know that there was the fall, and boy, we see it evidently, don't we? The moment humans got their eyes off of God and started to consume themselves with with themselves, that's when everything careened down. On Thursday or Friday, I was in a coffee shop over in the valley in Chatsworth, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm doing some work, and all of a sudden, I hear two guys talking about helping these two girls, and I'm like, no way, they must be Christians. So I kind of, you know, start to eavesdrop because that's what we do. And, and uh, <clears throat> as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden they started to cuss and demean. And I'm like, well, these are strange Christians, you know. <laughs> and at the end of the day, what I learned was, is these guys are in the porn industry and they were getting girls out here from different parts of the country. They were going to use, abuse them and kick them out. These girls thinking, I'm going to come out here and find satisfaction and getting caught up in the, in the L.A. world. These guys finding satisfaction and taking advantage of these girls. And at the end of it, God is looking at us saying, no, that's not what it's about. It's about me. It's about God. It's about seeing my worth. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at that because we believe at the very end of time when we get to Revelation 21 and 22... That is what God is going to say is he's going to let us see that he's going to fill this world with people that worship him. But he says, I want you to join me now. That, that verse that was up there, Matthew 28, 19, he said, I want you to, as you're going, make disciples of every nation. I want this globe to be filled with worship of me. And so we're going to be going through the message of the gospel, the measure of the gospel, the means of the gospel, because we need to find out how can Cornerstone have God's heart. Okay, so here's the first one, the message of the gospel. Now go with me to 2 Peter 3, and we're gonna, we've kind of been in 1 Peter, but I want to take you to 2 Peter. 
And he's going to kind of give us an idea about this message of the gospel that tells us, that informs us of how we can have God's heart for the world. And look what he says. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. He says this, but the day of the Lord will come. Stop. Just so everybody hears me, Jesus is going to win. This whole thing is moving towards one day called the day of the Lord in which Jesus is going to win. And 2 Peter 3 even goes on and he says, it's going to come like a thief. And listen to it. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Can you just imagine that day when suddenly it's just this roar and the, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all of these things are be, to be thus dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and, and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the human, heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to this promise, we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells that day when Jesus Christ comes back and makes all things well. See, at the core of the gospel, the thing that we can never forget is it is coming to a good end. It is coming to an end that it, from the very beginning, the intent of it, even when the fall of man, that when man fell in Genesis 3, God looked back at them and said, listen to me, I'm not done with you yet. And the whole Old Testament and New Testament are how, about how God is taking what he started way back in Genesis 1 and 2 and he's bringing it to a phenomenal end in which there will be these groups of people all over the planet from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will worship the king and finally be able to experience what God intended when he created us. It's what was talked about like in Luke when he, when he comes to, to, to Mary Everything had been coming up to this particular point. In Luke 1, he, he says to her, he says, listen to me, Mary, I've got to tell you something the angel does. He says, you're going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son. But here, let me tell you a little bit about your son. You're going to name him Jesus. And this son that you're going to name Jesus, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. He will, he will be the Lord God and we'll give him a throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Now, can you imagine a 12 or 13 or 14 year old girl sitting there listening to this angel going, no way. And then he was born. And in Matthew 16, Jesus standing in front of everybody said, listen to me. I will build my church. And the gates of death won't stand against it. And you've got to imagine then at the moment in which he's about ready to die, everybody's thinking, no way, he's not going to fulfill what he did. But in those low moments, in pain and death and lying and anger and deception, Jesus delivered the final blow that happened way back in Genesis 3 to sin and death. And then when God raised him from the grave, he not only proclaimed to the angelic realm, but he proclaimed to the whole world, my son wins. And for 2,000 years, what Christians have been doing is, is we've been proclaiming this message, Jesus wins. In fact, when Jesus said to him, he said, I want you, as you go, I want you to make disciples. I want you to tell these disciples, I win. And I want you then to tell these disciples to go all over the world proclaiming the victory of Jesus Christ. 
Even the way that John talked about it at the very end of his life, he's finishing up and in 1 John 5, he says about this statement, everywhere that the message of the gospel goes by faith, I don't care if it's South America or North America or Europe or Asia or Australia or Africa, everywhere that this gospel goes, it is a declaration of the victory of Jesus. See, at the core of who we are as Christians, the thing that we can never forget is that Jesus will win. And because we're in Jesus, we win. At the lowest of lows, at the most desperate of times, even those times when we don't feel like following Jesus, at those times that we really feel like following Jesus, at the end of the day, at the core of it, at the, the, the absolute essence of who we are as followers of Jesus, and the thing that has to just constantly be in front of us, Jesus is going to win. In 1 Corinthians 15, it even talks about this idea that Jesus, finally, when he's put all things behind him, when he's defeated sin and Satan and death, and all of us are now these people that he's collected, that he's died for, that he's made pure, he's going to hand us back to the Father. And can you just imagine that day when he says, Father, I've done my job. Here are the rest of your adopted kids. And then we find out in Revelation 20 then, the great deceiver that happened way back in Genesis 3, Satan, the devil, he's going to grab him and he's going to throw him into the lake of fire in front of all of us. See, that's at the core of who we are is that Jesus is going to win. And in Revelation 7, it even talks about this, and I'll just read it to you. It said, After these things I looked, and there was an enormous crowd that no one could count made up of persons from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting in a loud voice. Now just imagine this. All of us one day, all these people from all the planet are going to be standing in front of Jesus saying, Salvation belongs to our God, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine that day? Man, we're going to be looking at each other and you're going to be, remember that Sunday you preached about this day? Give us some high five. We're here today. You know what I mean? It's like, yes! It's arrived. But not only does this message tell us that Jesus wins, but like I says, said, it tells us that, that Satan loses. I know it looks like at times Satan is winning, but let me tell you something. At the cross and the tomb, it looked like Satan was winning. But at the end, we know Jesus declared victory. But not only that, here's the victory of Jesus. It's a mission that currently today is filling the earth with praises for Jesus. Last night when I preached this message, people in Australia and Asia were waking up to attend services together together to worship Jesus. And do you realize now for almost 24 hours have been God's people just declaring the praises of Jesus all day long? Can you imagine God in heaven on Sundays just going, yes, there's my kids. My kids are just telling how Jesus how phenomenal he is. They're doing what I called them to do. They're engaged in what they're supposed to be doing. And so that's the first one. The first one is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel has the idea and the the thing we have to get into our heads is Jesus wins, Satan is defeated, and God is creating an entire planet of people that worship Jesus. Okay, that's the first one. Here's the second one. If we're going to ever capture God's heart, what will we see? Well, here's the measure of the gospel, the things that we'll start to see in our church. The first one is this, we will have 
Christ's passion for the world. At the core of who Jesus is, the thing we can never forget is that Jesus loves the entire world. I think sometimes in our little weird ethnocentric and kind of city-centric world, we kind of get caught up when we say statements like, well, you know, I know we're giving all this stuff out there, but what about us? Can you imagine if Jesus did that? Here's Jesus going, you know, God, but what about me? See, at the core of God's children is saying, it doesn't matter about me. God has me. My daddy has me. And so, in fact, what we have now is Christ's heart coming out and saying, when my people go forward, they will have a heart for the world. And in fact, if we don't have a heart for the world, the idea is, is actually we're sick. Remember I told the story about the, the, the babies that I get in, the drug babies, and we try to feed them and they don't want to eat. And we kind of connected that to the word of God, that when I'm not doing well spiritually, I don't crave the word of God. Well, when we're not doing well spiritually... We don't crave, we don't have the heart of God for the entire world. In fact, right now, if you don't have a heart for the world, you should be asking the question, what's wrong with me? Why am I sick? Why do I not crave what Jesus craves, a heart for all the world? I would even say probably in the church in the United States right now, there's a lot of sickness that's happening. Man, we have so much, we tend to use what we have, our our problem is we tend to use what we have to make ourselves comfy. All the while, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are struggling. And Paul's point, like in 2 Corinthians, he's like, look, I'm not trying to, to make the people around the world more comfy and to make you less comfy. The idea is, is that we just want to see Jesus worshiped more. In fact, the problem with a lot of modern missions is is we've tried to make missionaries and everyone out there comfy because we think, oh, they'll be able to do things just like us. When, to be honest with you, I think the church in Jesus Christ needs to get a little uncomfy in the United States. Remind us of God's just passion for the world. But not only that, we can never forget And the reminder is, it's something that's happening all over the world. In 1 Peter 5, he says this same struggle is happening with people around the world. I mean, wasn't it so cool to hear Rafao up here just talking about uh, Hollywoosh? We could sit there and go, I understand. We can sit there and understand the world that he's going into because he's going through the same struggles as us. The problem is he's got about 600 people in a city of a million, and we've got thousands That's the first one, is that the first aspect of it that we'll see is we'll see that we'll have Christ's passion for the world. Here's the second one. We'll believe that the church is the only answer. Now, I want to be careful with this because I'm going to use the word nonprofits, just kind of generic here. I believe the nonprofits in the world are doing a great job. But Jesus never promised to build nonprofits. He promised to build the church. Now, I say that because the reason I believe worship doesn't exist and therefore the works of Satan exist is because in India, in Belgium, in the Sudan, in Nicaragua, in New Zealand, in Thailand, in Croatia, in Libya, in Iran, in Chile, and all over the entire planet, these things exist not because we need more nonprofits. These things exist because we need more churches. 
What he was talking about, churches that planting churches, is we need to be able to plant more churches around the world. The church is this outpost of God's kingdom where all of God's people that come to know Jesus, they're the gathering of them and they partner together to display who Jesus Christ is to the world. Nonprofits are good. They give a person a fish. Churches are better. They teach people how to fish. See, at the core of the gospel message was Jesus saying, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I'm not asking you to hand out fish. I'm asking you to make fishermen. And the church, this container living the God, that's what we're to be about. So not only are we to, to be these groups that see the church, but here's the last one I want to talk about. I think at the heart of it, what we will see is we will see sacrifice for the mission. When we really begin to get God's heart for the world, when we really begin to see that on the edge of us in the city of L.A., do you realize there's almost 100 different language groups in Los Angeles alone? It's a city just filled with evil, isn't it? And here we are, we sit on the precipice of it, but do you understand that our job in connecting to be able to sacrifice, to be able to plant churches like we've been doing, and we're planting churches like crazy right now over in LA. And there's actually a couple more guys that are actually asking the question, man, do I go join God over in Los Angeles? But here's the thing almost all of them say. If we reach that city, we might actually be able to be impactful in reaching the world. Why? Because all those language groups, if they come to know Jesus Christ, can you imagine if they could begin to get a heart for where they've come from? Now, Paul knew that it would be time-consuming endeavor, but listen to me. We know that this life is short and eternity is forever. Paul knew that it would cost us certain pleasures and things in this life, but we know those pleasures are nothing in comparison to what God has for us when he calls us home. Paul knew that it would cost us relationships in this life, family and friends, but we know we will have eternity to enjoy those relationships. Paul knew it would mean pain and suffering, but we know this momentary light suffering is producing for us something so amazing, a glory far beyond all comparison is what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 4. He knew it would appear that we're living in this world as fragile. We're living unwise in comparison to how people look at us. But we know that we're choosing to build our lives on the rock, not on sand. And so when I talk about sacrifice, the one thing I want you to know, is it really sacrifice if we're going to receive reward in the end far beyond anything we can imagine? So those are the things, those would be the key things. Now here's what I was doing this week. I was sharing with a friend of mine, Mike Cratch, and a lot of you might know him. He went off to, uh, to, to, to do some work in Papua New Guinea for a few years. And as I was sharing this stuff with him, I was asking him, you know, how do we pull this off? Like what are the means? What are the things we need to do as a church? And as I'm listening to him, he's just all of a sudden, and I'll never forget this, we're sitting in, in Panera, and it was almost like he was like, I'd like you to open your Bible. And he just started preaching at me, and I'm like, and he gets done, and I go, Dude, you need to finish this talk. And so with it, I'm going to have Mike come up, and I'm going to actually have him share how we as a church are going to, the means with which we're going to go about this, okay? So go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it is an honor to get to, uh, to come up here and share a little bit. And, and I know there's a lot of new people, if you don't know, uh, years ago, my, uh, my wife and I were challenged into tribal church planting in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, and uh, so it's kind of cool to come back here. We ended up coming back as my wife and my son's health, and um, anyway, out of that, you get two sermons today. <laughs> but 
I love to I love to talk about. I think Todd said a couple weeks ago how we get written into his story. Uh, my oldest son got a letter from the Marines this week, and it said, "Join the Marines and become part of history." But I love the fact that we can join Jesus in part of his story, right? And for us, our story began, uh, gosh, 14-plus years ago when a member of Cornerstone Church realized we were not believers and began to pursue us. My wife grew up in a large liberal denomination. I grew up a, occasionally half-Catholic at best. We were on the backside of a tragedy in our life, and he met us and pursued us. And ultimately, through this church, we were reached, and then we were redeemed. And we began to sit here uh, under the teaching here and go through a time of discipleship and grow and learn. And as we were doing that, we were challenged with the idea that there are people and places around the world on a waiting list to hear about Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? There's a waiting list, and, and they're just asking. And the, the reality is there's not, there's not enough missionaries to go around. And as I got into Sino, and I, I began to do ministry and help plant a church, so then they would come to me. Oh, my. Why? Why was no one come to our village, they would say. Do we stink? Is there a problem with us? I'm like, yeah, I'll tell the church when I get back. Waiting lists in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. And so we were, we were challenged. We were equipped. We were sent out. Just this last week, I was putting a screen door in for a lady, and she goes, wait a minute. What's your last name? And this has happened no less than 50 times. So I knew what she was going to say. She's like, you've been on my refrigerator for, for 10 years. <laughs> we have been prayed for. We have been equipped. And then ultimately, we have been sent out by this church. But understand this, the, the life and cause of global missions starts right here. I grew up in Simi Valley, 27 years. I was never invited to youth group. No one ever shared with me. No one ever said anything. It was maybe every four or five years we went to like mass at midnight or something. We're like, all right, I'll tolerate it. Global missions starts right here. And I know you're aware of Tim and, and Courtney Shantara. We kind of left together and God had another plan. And they went into this village in Yembe Yembe and they've been involved in planting a church there. We need to pray for the Yembe's. They are actually, big religion has threatened them. If you take this message to the next village, we will kill you. 80% of the translation is done. The, the Yembe Yembe's will be getting their Bible uh, in the next year or so. Same thing our village in Sino. They've been learning the scriptures, learning to do their own exegesis so they can turn around and feed their own flock. Uh, just God is doing incredible things. The, the idea of global missions is not for a couple of the crazy ones that would be willing to go. Uh, and I'm not telling you to go today. I'm not telling you to write an extra check. I'm not, no, I'm telling you what maybe it might look like for us as a church, for us as a group of followers of Jesus Christ to live on a global cause. And you know what, for, for a lot of us, check it, I know, this is, I'm like encouraging the choir here. I look out across here and I see some faces of people that, you know, just carried us through these days. And what this church, what we have been able to accomplish, right, we have an extension of us as planted churches in the Sino village, in the Yembe Yembe village, and we have missionaries that left here recently, Justin and Lauren Reese, right? They're going to answer one more of those letters. They're going to take one more tribe off that waiting list and pay village. An extension of what we do here, when you write that check, when you pray, when you get involved, right? We recently sent a pilot over to New Guinea, Mike and Tippy Littlefield. The guys flying this plane into the remote parts of the world. Oh, I miss that. We'd fly and circle these villages, and the pilot's like, I got to find a hole in the cloud. And you would know when he did because he would just do that. And, like, and you go shooting through the clouds, and you circle this airstrip, and you look down at these brown people looking up at you, and you're like, We're bringing truth. I love that. Thomas and Laura Shear will be planning a church. Uh, in the jungles outside of Kalimantan in the coming years. They'll be back here in a, in a couple weeks. We need to honor them, Third John says, because they went out for the sake of the name. 
We've got Brad and, and Amber Jones in Vanuatu. We've got a church plant going on there. We have Kevin and Jessica Oates right in Honduras. And Kevin learns Greek, and then he learns Spanish so that he could teach Spanish speakers Greek so they would better understand the scriptures. <clears throat> no, and then in their spare time, they realize there's an entire village or community of people that live in a garbage dump. And so they take pizzas, do a little medical, and preach Jesus to people who live in a garbage dump. We have a fall, 2%. To less than 1%, like he said, Christian in Poland. That, that's not okay. Cornerstone has always been about missions, and Cornerstone will continue to be about missions. We will also be about good works. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, things should spring out of you. But there is a time when we're going to separate what is good works, right? You can register to vote today. Get involved in voting. Walk for this. Walk for that. But understand, like Todd said, we are going to keep our primary focus on what? Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or, or the grave or however you might, will not stop it. And so the challenge for us is to say, will you join him? And I love to look at what Jesus did, right? Because he took these small handful of men and he poured his life into them. He invested in them. He challenged them. All these wonderful things. And then at the end of his life, after he paid for our sins on the cross, rose from the grave, he said, Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I told you to obey. And lo, I love this part, and this is your missionary verse if you're a missionary. I'm with you in this, always, to the ends of the earth, right? Essentially what Jesus is saying is that, look, what you've seen and heard from me this time that we've had together, I want you to take it and I want you to invest in other men. And as they did that, we see coming alongside the elders, we see these men called presbytery, right? Pastor, teachers, the apostles appointed elders and told them, look, go out, do this. You pursue people, reach them and appoint them, duplicate this process. And you know what? Every one of us is proof that they didn't fail. Bible wasn't written in your language. Somebody had to translate it. And you know what big religion did to him? Same big religion that's after the MBM church. They burned him alive at the stake for it. This is William Tyndale. And I love this story because William Tyndale stood in front of a bunch of, of bishops and cardinals and holy rollers, religious dudes. And they wanted to keep the scriptures in Latin so no one would understand it. And he said, you know what? You go and you tell them in Rome. You tell him if God gives me the breath, the average boy on the plow will know more about the word of God than you do. Right? And they kill him for it. Discipleship. Sometimes we need to take that baton. It starts right here. We pursue, we reach, we disciple, and we equip. We have missionaries out there that have more training, that get more training than a Navy SEAL does before his first combat mission. See, the Navy SEAL job is to be willing to eradicate the enemy of the United States upon the order of the president. And they're good at it, they're the best. And to be really, really good, they've got to be willing to die. They've got to be willing to give their life for this. See, the job of a missionary is to go out and pursue the soldiers of the enemy and win them to the king and then disciple them and teach them to do the same. And you know what? Yep, they have to be willing to die to do that too. Praise God, none of ours have yet, but that's what we're talking about here. We pursue, we reach, we disciple, we also submit to discipleship. And I want to say this with a little bit of a grain of grace, but you know what? Within Christianity, within the church, and then possibly, yeah, even right here with us, we have believers that are biblically illiterate. They don't know the difference between a historical narrative in the Old Testament where you're essentially reading a history book and an epistle to the church. 
Or you, I get a chance to do a little ministry here, and you, and you kind of meet with people and say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian, raised in a Christian home, baptized as a baby. I'm Christian. No, what? Is that what you hear on Sundays here? No. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, you weren't born a Christian. You're born a sinner. If you're truly a Christian, you've had two births, one from Mama and one from the Spirit of God. It makes this new creation in you. And that happens as you come to God and trust in his provision, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. You're, well, why? If you can't even articulate to me that you're a Christian, how in the world are you going to go and make disciples? And I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm saying they aren't grounded enough in the word to even be able to articulate the gospel. A third area um, huge is that we pray. Have to pray for our missionaries and pray for the message to go forward. Check it in Second uh, Thessalonians 3. It says, finally, brought Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. Do we understand the value of the truth that we got? We have no idea, but I study it out, and I'm, I'm, it's kind of conjecture on my part, but I look at Apostle Paul, right? And Jesus came and met with him after he'd met with the other ones and empowered this man and sent him out, and he's this incredible church planner, and it looks to me like his journeys are taking him to Africa, and nothing else but the sovereign hand of God stops him, turns him around, and it appears he ends up kind of heading towards Macedonia, heaven to- heaven towards, uh, heaven not, heading towards, and he ends up where? Rome, Europe. Is there anybody here that thinks maybe you've benefited a little bit from the gospel going to Europe and not Africa? Does anybody here realize there's 900, 900 villages in Africa that don't have a church? In fact, most of them don't have a Christian who can even speak their language. There is no John 3.16. There is no hope of heaven. There's nothing but tribal animism and confusion. And that's not okay. Paul's saying pray. Pray that the word of God would go and be glorified just as it was with you. And what you get out there is you get like Billy Blowhorn going through these villages, handing out literature and saying he planted churches. That's not God. That's not glorifying God. That's not missions, no. What we're talking about is praying that God would raise up harvesters, people who would chuck their calendars, get out there, live amongst these people, and see Jesus Christ given his rightful place in the unreached parts of the world. Would you pray? Pray for missionaries, because you know what prayer is? Our, it's our walkie-talkie on the battlefield. It declares, you know what, we've equipped some men. And they might be the equivalent of spiritual Navy SEALs, but outside of us praying, outside of them abiding in Christ, outside of the Spirit of God going before them, they'll make a mess of themselves. And even worse, they'll come back here and their wife and kids will be chewed up and spit out. And the gospel will not go forward. See, in prayer, we declare our absolute inability to accomplish anything. And God says, yo, watch what I'll do. That's right. Praise God, because he opens these incredible doors and does these incredible things to people like us. It's crazy. In fact, uh, we just stop right now. Let's just lift up some of our missionaries. Let's pray for them. Father, we, uh, we think of what you're doing here and the men you've sent and the women you've sent uh, around the world, Father, and we do just want to lift them up. We think of Tim and Courtney Chanter and the Yembe Yembe Church. We think of what you're doing in the Sino Church. Pray you continue to do it. I pray for Thomas and Laura Shear and their desires to plant a church in the jungle of Kalimantan. We think of, of Ryan and Laura Fennel out in Indonesia working with missionary kids and Brad and Amber Jones in Vanuatu. We think of Kevin and Jessica uh, doing ministry in Honduras and Mike and Tippy. We think of Rafal and his, his church plant and desires, Lord. Um, 
in Poland, and I, and I know for, um, for all those churches, for what they face, and nothing without you, God, would you please go before them now and do something wonderful, God, a miracle, please. And I know just specifically, if I can, just lift up Tippy Littlefield to you. I know she's struggling a little bit. <clears throat> we'll just ask you to do great things there, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Another area we can be involved in is sending, right? And, and you think of Romans ten thirteen. Listen to this. Listen to what Paul says. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's not like a verbal thing. Oh, Jesus. No. That's basically saying Jesus is my God is what that means, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord as, as him as your God, that you will be saved. And Paul goes on and he says, well, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, they won't. They can't. And, and how will they believe in him in whom they have they haven't heard. They won't. How will they hear without a preacher? They won't. They can't. How will they preach unless they're sent? They won't. They can't. It's not going to happen. Paul says this is the job of the church. The church uses, God uses the church to build the church. There's things going on around the world that, that, that shouldn't be okay with us. We've got to send missionaries to stop it. It's not okay that the witch doctors of the world are receiving the glory and praise that is due Jesus Christ. It's not okay. I read this story in Sino, this kid, uh, intense rainforest, right? Intense rain. If you take a walk at the wrong time and you look up, you could drown. But what happened is the rain will just hammer on the banks of the rivers and you see this massive 5,000 pound trees will just come crashing down. It's just crazy what the, the rainforest will do. And this one kid gets too close to the bank, right? And this bank gives way and he falls into this river and it's just like dark, dark chocolate milk. And dad realizes it and the kid's gone, just disappears. And I remember he just takes a few steps down river and he dives. And it's just the grace and miracle of God. He comes up with this kid. And what can he be seen doing? Throwing things in the water later, thanking the spirit world, praising the spirit world. I'm going, no way, man. That was God. That was Jesus Christ. And you know what to do? Today, he is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a believer. But that worship and that praise, that's not it. That shouldn't belong to the witch doctor. Absolutely should not belong to the witch doctor. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. If you, if you have your Bible, actually, I'm going to go so fast, you might as well just listen to me read it. But Isaiah chapter 14, talking about the devil, talking about Satan, and right? Have you got that little red horn thingy and a pitchfork? And you think, you know what Satan is? He's a religious angel. And anything he can do to deviate you from the truths of the scriptures and win your adoration or praise, he's going to do it. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 14. It says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly. That word assembly, if you took it from Hebrew to English, the devil is saying, I want to sit at the head of the church. I want a secure throne. I want a people that worship me. We're going, no way. And I love it because the reality of what springs up in places like Encino and Yembiembi is we're seeing these new followers of Jesus Christ where they stand up to their entire village. They stand up to the witch doctor. They have these sick kids and they're dying and some of them do die. And to listen to these believers say, absolutely not. No way am I taking my child to that witch doctor who does his little hocus pocus stuff here. Says, no way. I'm God's child. I'm in his hands. And if my kid lives or dies, it's all up to him. These people are investing in my life. I mean, I've, my kid's sick, I'm on the radio. I need a plane in here and I need it now. 
No way. We're in God's children. We're in his hands. Some of them do die. But you know what? Jesus Christ is getting his rightful place. As far as serving as senders, guys, it's tough. I don't have any one thing I can. We're not going to pass another offering plate. I'm not going to tell you to write a check or to do any one thing. And, and probably the greatest way we could talk about serving as senders is to look at an attitude. And that's essentially what it is. It's an attitude. Philippians 2.5. Apostle Paul says, he says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I was telling Todd, I just kind of what I'm thinking when I'm going to leave. I go, I, I, I've been involved in tribal church planning. I've been in seminary. I want to be, I don't know how to orate. How do you describe that? Do we understand who Jesus Christ is? He is the Emmanuel. He, you would do just fine calling him Jehovah Jesus. He is the creator God of this universe. And he steps down off his throne on a rescue mission for your soul. Right? Probably one missionary told this story. This is the closest possible thing I've ever heard that might give us a little bit of a glimpse. See, back in the wogie days of New Guinea, people used to kill and eat themselves. I mean, we're really, really out there, right? And so sometimes a guy would die and they would take his body and they would lay him on a rack. And it's like something you might smoke fish on. The crack. And they would take her, his wife and she had to lay underneath this decomposing body as it oozed through the cracks. And she's in such bondage to this that if she doesn't stay there, then she's afraid that his spirit's going to haunt her down and kill her. And I think about what death is. We weren't intended to die. The wages of sin is death. And everything that happened, both the pathetic worldview that drags her underneath that body, the death, the decomposition, the stink, could you imagine the smell? And outside of that, there's a missionary with a thing of penicillin going, wait a minute, because the death that killed him is going to kill her. I got to go in there. And I gotta pull her out of there and I gotta try and treat her. And I, gotta, I gotta try and stop this insane worldview, this animism. I don't know if that does it for you. I don't know if that gives you just a glimpse of what Jesus Christ went through when he left heaven to come here to save us. I, I don't know if it does or not. And if it does, great, that's the easy part. You know the hard part? Paul says, have the same attitude. Are you kidding me? How do you have that attitude? It's an attitude that says, you know what, I'm going to live right here like a global Christian. And for many of us, that means you know, I'm going to go without some of the comfort. I'm going to empty myself just like Jesus Christ emptied himself. And a lot of us, we have the, the 10% mentality, right? I give 10% and then I can do whatever I want with the other 90. And we call that pious religion. And, and please, for a lot of us, 10% is a stretching point. I'm not trying to you know, to pick on anybody, but the idea that we could give 10% and do whatever we want with the other 90, I'm sorry, you're not going to get that from the New Testament. You know what you get from the New Testament? You get a message that says, you live a sacrificial lifestyle for the proclamation of Jesus Christ right here and around the world. And sometimes that requires great sacrifice and service. When I first got to New Guinea, I'm learning the culture, learning the way things work, and I'm, I'm helping load the airplane, and this old missionary comes back, and uh, he says, I need a favor. I've got to catch a plane tomorrow out of the country. Would you go and get some plywood, cut two foot by two foot squares, paint it with chalkboard paint, and, and next time the plane goes into Besorio land, would you send it in? 
because one of our teachers there, his name is Suduwamu, he's a traveling teacher, and this village is actually a hamlet, and it's spread out over, over this mountain range. And what Suduwamu does is he goes village to village, teaching the Word of God on a chalkboard. And he wants a few extra chalkboards so his students can begin to do the same, because Suduwamu wants to duplicate himself. Right? And so does he tell me more? We live with people that when Jesus said, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread, that, that's what it is. There's no Costco, there's no $100 store, there's no... There's no refrigerators or cupboards. So Sudawamu's up a tree looking for food, daily food. He falls out, breaks his arm. There's no, there's no helicopter for him. So now he goes around the jungle with a chalkboard and his arm bent the wrong way, preaching Jesus and trying to duplicate himself. And, I, and Bob said, get the paint, the wood, send it in there and just charge my account. I'm like, Bob, you've got to let me pay for this. I didn't really go without, but I want to pay for that. Because if there's people living sold out like that in the jungles of the world, I want to partner with them. I want to be a part of that. Another one of the teachers there, I think his name is Meliway, he said to him, Bob, pray for me because the gold companies are here. And everyone's selling out for the gold. And we go to teach the word of God and they're not there. They're chasing the gold. He said, Bob, pray that not one piece ever crosses the palm of my hand because I'm so afraid that I would in turn become about the gold and not about the work of Jesus. And is there a thought that maybe the American church has done just that? We're about the gold and not about the work of Jesus? And some of the people that have some of the nicest things, I get it, are some of the most generous people, but is there a point where we go, wait a minute, what are we about? I mean, reality is, what is the difference between the latest new European AZ MP3 class sedan and, say, maybe a Chevy Malibu? I talked to Tim Shantar in an email last week. I said, Tim, you're almost done translating the scriptures. You've given your whole life for this. What's it going to cost to have it printed? $28,000 in printing costs and shipping over to New Guinea. Same thing in Sino. Almost $30,000. That's the difference between a luxury sedan and a normal car. Justin and Lauren Reese trying to raise money to build a house. What's it going to cost him? $35,000 to transport his family into the middle of the jungle. Thomas and Laura Shear and Kelly Montan, $35,000 to $40,000. What's the difference between a luxury sedan and a Chevy Malibu? It's the funding of the gospel to a nation. And look, we're not trying to make you poor, we're not trying to live like a monk. Enjoy your money. You know, I, I married up. I really did. I have a beautiful wife. And once or twice a year, we go to Larson's Steakhouse, right? I get the bone-in ribeye covered with blue cheese. She gets the filet mignon, maybe just a little something, fruit from the vine. And, and I just look at my beautiful wife. And I always, read, uh, I always read Solomon first in Ecclesiastes. He's like, man, take the food, take the wine, take the wife, go eat, drink to the glory of God. And for a bald, chubby guy to have a wife like mine, let me tell you, I'm sitting there and I'm doing pretty good that night. But you know what? That is the exception in our life, not the norm. Why? Because we want to live sacrificial lifestyles for the proclamation of the gospel. And sometimes that means we make the decision to go without. And this isn't a jerky, poor me thing. It's a joy. We got to be a part of seeing the light go on in an entire village. You're not going to get to heaven and go... Dang, I wish I would have had that sedan. You're going to be like stoked. It was so, so worth it. And I remember years ago we did. We ended up with a good deal on a house on the hill, and, and we were selling it to go into ministry. And we called a realtor up, and he came over, and, and he's like, from here. And, and he looked at our house, and he looked at my young kids, or I think one, three, and five at the time. And he looked right at me, and he goes, You're a fool. You know what I've learned over the years? He is no fool who gives up 
what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Get involved. What does that look like? It's right there. That's the cause of a global mission. You can add to it, tweak it, make it what you want. We pursue right here, right now. And it's not lifestyle advantage. Oh, I'm a nice guy at work. Being a nice guy never got anybody saved. It helps. Sure, be nice. But we pursue with intention. We disciple, submit to discipleship. If you don't know the word of God, ask. We have every resource available to us. And we will equip those that we feel God is raising up to go. We'll pray like nothing else. And we'll send them. That's going to be awesome someday. I love the Acts 1.8 to the ends of the earth. Have you realized Acts 1.8 is the answer to a question? What was the question? Jesus, are you now going to set up the kingdom? I'm paraphrasing. No. See, they kind of understood. Oh, Isaiah 53. Messiah would actually suffer and die like a lamb led to the slaughter. They, they were starting to get it. And he atoned. He paid for our sins. And he gives us this free eternal life. And they asked the question, cool. And if you're a little Jew, Jewish boy or girl, you're all about this, this coming kingdom. And they said, now can we have it? Not yet. Got a job for you. To the ends of the earth. And it's one of those things that's the craziest thing. You won't find any greater joy. And selling out for the cause. Pray for our missionaries. Stand with them. Thank you. Father, we, uh, we love you, Lord, and we just thank you so much, Father, for, for your grace. We accept with humility uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation that you've given us. Pray you'd be honored and glorified as we live for you. And I just pray everyone would be excited about a, a little bit of a shifting gears as we move forward here under the, the vision being cast and... Uh, We want to live sold out for you, Lord. Help us to do that, please. In Jesus' name, amen.